Well, I want to welcome all the sites that are watching right now. Faribault, Minatrista, Savage. Can we welcome them here from Apple Valley? <laughs> Exciting to have you guys. And of course, everybody watching on internet and on TV, we love that you're part of our church in that way. And I uh, just want to say, as we are continuing this series uh, on Job, looking at why God, why, I want to say this, that I understand and apologize right away up front that uh, I am not going to get through all this today. I'm just not going to get through it. I look at the content of what I've got. I think about a four-part series, and I almost wish that we were at five or six or seven-part series so I could keep going. And I could tell from that response at our Apple Valley campus, you're really feeling that too, right? <laughs> right, you want me to keep going? Yeah, all right, all seven of you, great, thank you. Oh, man. We're trying to figure out why does God allow pain and suffering today? We want to know why does God allow pain and suffering? And I want to just say this right away in the beginning of this, a few observations, and I'm going to be going all over, and this might be one of those ones that uh, brings up questions and doesn't get all the answers, and I understand that, but just the very fact that we ask, why does God allow pain and suffering? Why, does he do, why do these things happen to us? I think just the very fact that we ask that question shows that we believe God is good. Just the very fact that we, we ask that, I think, says in our hearts, in our, in our soul, we just believe God is good. And when bad things happen, we say, why? Because we know that God is good. There's just something in there. And if you, if you look all throughout the Bible, you'll see that people said, God is good. God is good. And I know some churches have the thing where they say, God is good, and people say, all the time. And then they say, all the time, God is good. And then you think, what about in pain and suffering? He's still good. He's still good. And if you look through the Bible, I'll just read a few of the scriptures, because it always says, God is good. Psalms 25, verse 8 says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Psalms 119, verse 68 says, you are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Jeremiah 33, 11 says this, give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. We even sing a song around here, you are good, you are good, and your love endures forever. That's where it's coming from, Jeremiah 33, 11. Never once does the Bible say, God is bad. God is bad. God is a tough kid. God is bad, and he's not good, and in him dwells no good. It doesn't say that, all right? You're not going to find that. And that's why when we ask that question, we're saying we believe that God is good. Now, let me explain to you. I believe God is kind, and I believe God is good, but I believe his goodness is more important than his kindness. Does that make sense? All right, let me illustrate for you, all right? How many know I love illustrations? I love that. I love to illustrate. Um, how many know that when grandparents come to visit their grandchildren, they are very kind? And they buy them ice cream. And they buy them pop. And they sugar them up because they know they're leaving, right? <laughs> and grandparents are very kind to the grandchildren. But how many know that parents may not be the same in that same kindness, but how many know they're still good when they say, eat your meat, eat your veggies, and if you don't finish your meal, you don't get dessert? <laughs> now think about it. What's going to produce better kids, kindness or goodness? 
Goodness is going to produce much better kids where you say, I've got the best thing in mind for you. I'm good, and I have the best in mind for you. And even though you don't understand how good I am, and you don't understand my goodness, I am good. And you may not think that it's kind, but it is, and I have your end result in mind. C.S. Lewis said this about kindness and goodness. He said, kindness just wants to alleviate suffering. That's what it wants to do. It just wants to alleviate suffering. Just stop the suffering. It doesn't matter if alleviating your suffering causes you to turn out bad. It just wants you to stop suffering. Goodness says, I want to stop the suffering or let the suffering continue, provided that the end result leads to you being good. And there's a big difference. Let me illustrate it again, because I believe God is good, and we've got to wrap our arms around this, and as we look at this question and we wrestle, is God good, and why do these bad things happen to us? God is good even though his goodness doesn't look good all the time, okay? Again, illustrating this, imagine you're a parent of a child, a three-year-old child, and they get in underneath the sink because you didn't have the safety lock on there, and how many of those safety locks just keep the parents out, you know what I'm talking about? You got those safety locks, you're like... Could you get the kids to open this for me? You know, I can't get in there. You know, but you put it on there, or they leave it open or something, and it happens. And so you, your child gets into there and, and, and drinks something that's poisonous. Okay, they drink something with the green sticker on it, but they just overrule the green sticker, and they drink it, and you call poison control. And poison control says, what you have to do is you have to get this child to the hospital right now. And whatever you do, don't let that child fall asleep. They've, they have poison in them. If they fall asleep, we may not be able to get them back again. So you cannot let them fall asleep. So you're driving them to the hospital. And in your goodness and in your kindness, in your desire that the end result is good, that the end result turns out right, they're starting to fall asleep. So what do you do? In your desperation, in your tears, you reach over to their car seat and you slap them. <laughs> now remember, they got to drink poison for this to happen, all right? Poison has to be, okay? But you slap them. And the kid's like, ah, what was that? <laughs> so you want to say, I love you, but you don't want to confuse them, you know? <laughs> so you're like, wake up, wake up, no sleeping, you know? And, and, and they're still starting to drift off. So you reach back and you pinch them. Some of you are really liking this, but yeah, you pinch them, you slap them, you pinch them, you slap them, you scream at them, you turn the radio, ah, you're just, but in your desperation, you're saying, I love you, I'm good, I'm kind, and you don't understand the slapping, you don't understand the pinching, you don't understand all this, but I'm trying to keep you alive. Can we understand the complexity of, is God good? Can we understand, you know, suffering and pain and, and, and the fact that he's good and, and that his kindness and his goodness and all this mixed together, it's, it's so confusing. But even in our pain and suffering, we've got to come back to this, that God is good. God is good. And all the time, God is good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Now, recently at our Faribault campus, we've had two families that have endured some tragedies and just some real crisis in their life and accidents and, and, and just real struggles. And I think the only way you could get through that for those families is, is saying, God is good. I don't understand. I don't understand. His goodness doesn't, doesn't look good all the time, but he's good. And I think for all of us, we've got to grab hold of that. I saw an email from somebody battling uh, cancer, and they said, I've just had to grab hold of the fact that God is good. I've just had to grab hold of that. 
that he's good. And even if I don't understand what I'm going through, God is good. Okay, another thing about this, when I think about why, why does bad happen? And why does God allow evil? Why does he allow pain? Why does he allow suffering? And I thought about this. What if God is right now holding back 99.9% of the pain and suffering that should be coming our way? Because we're like, why? Why this accident in 70 years of life? Why now? And what if he's saying, you don't understand. I've held back like 572 accidents. Do you see the way you drive? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Okay, but seriously. What if he's holding back right now most of the evil and suffering and this world really is one where he is intervening all the time? We just don't know. Now, we say, okay, but why wouldn't God jump in and restrain all the murders? And we'd say, why won't he stop evil? And why won't he stop suffering and pain? Well, let me just help you out with this because no matter how much he stopped, it wouldn't be enough for you. No matter how much he stopped, it wouldn't be enough for you. Take pain, for instance. Let's say 10 is the worst pain you can endure in life. 10, whatever the 10 pain is. Okay, let's say it's Job's life, okay? If you had Job's life, that's a 10. And let's say one is like stubbing your toe, okay? If God eliminates 10, nine becomes the new 10. So you say, no, 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 Lord, we can't handle nine. Nine, we don't want nine anymore. So nine is the way, eight. Eight becomes the new 10. Eight becomes the worst. And you'd say, eight, we don't want eight. We don't want eight. We don't, seven, we don't want seven anymore. We don't want six, we don't want five. Do you see what I'm saying? No matter what it was, that would be the worst. And we'd be saying, why, God? Why? Why do you allow that until it was all gone? So no matter how much he would get rid of, we'd still be asking the same question. Okay? Now think about evil. We say, why didn't God stop evil? Why doesn't he stop evil dictators? Why didn't he just go in there and stop them? Why doesn't he just find Osama bin Laden and end that stuff? You know, why doesn't he take care of that? Okay, let me, let me just point this out. What would he do to people that were wanting to do evil? What would he do? Like, whisper to them in their conscience? Say, don't do that. That's evil. And then if they didn't listen, what would he do? Hey, don't, 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 don't do evil or I'll trip you. And so everybody's going to do evil fell down, right? And then what happens if people were still going to do evil and then God was like, don't, because now I'm going to have to have something fall on you, you know? And you're going to say, something falls on them, right? But what if that doesn't stop them? And God's like, well, they keep still wanting to do evil. All right, now I have to give them a heart attack, throw them in the hospital. But they get out of the hospital, they're like, I'm still going to do evil. And God's like, all right, now I got to kill you, Right? Think about it. If you had to stop every evil and go in there, God really wouldn't be God. He'd be playing like a game of whack-a-mole. You know what I'm talking about? He'd be like, stop, stop, stop. And the evil would just keep popping up. Okay, is this making sense or have I confused the church completely? God is good. God is good. And I, and I just believe that we have to realize he's good, and I believe that he's holding back more than we realize, and I believe that he doesn't intervene in so many situations because no matter what he did, it wouldn't be enough. And so we've got to learn to live in this world full of pain and suffering and evil and realize 
that there's, a, that there's a purpose to it, that there's a purpose and that there's a plan. And sometimes we don't see it, and sometimes we have the opportunity to see that there's a purpose, there's a point to it. And I believe that's another thing we have to realize. Sometimes there's a point in the pain. I really, really believe that. Now, I found a story that I read and heard about that actually comes to Minnesota, and I want you to take a look at this story. Hey, I'm down here at North Central University, and I want to tell you about a story that eventually gets here, but starts over in Sweden. David and Spia Flood, back in the 1920s, were a young couple feeling a call of God on their life to go to the Belgian Congo in Africa and reach people that had not been reached with the gospel. So this young couple goes there with another missionary couple called the Ericsons, and they go down to the Belgian Congo to make a difference for God and reach unreached people groups, but when they get there, Nobody will let them in because they're white people and the people in the villages are all afraid of them. So they build these mud huts in the middle of the jungle and, and they get malaria and they suffer while they're there and they're trying to reach out and, and the only person that they're able to reach is one little boy, one little boy that befriends them and they actually lead him to Christ so that at least they get one convert. In the midst of all this trying to reach out, uh, Svia gets pregnant and she has this little baby girl but in the pregnancy it's complicated and she dies giving birth to this little daughter. Her name was Anna but eventually she became Aggie. Well, her dad is just so distraught because his wife has just died. He's on a mission for God. He's thinking, where's the protection? Where's the purpose in all this pain? So he actually gives his daughter to the Ericsons and says, raise her and leaves. He goes back to Sweden. He gives up on God. So they're raising this daughter there and they just take her in, but then they die. I know, it just gets tragic. So they give her to the Berg family who's there and the Bergs raise her in Africa a little bit, but then eventually move back to Minnesota. They raise her in this area in the Midwest and she eventually comes here to North Central Bible College. She comes to North Central Bible College, meets a guy by the name of D.V. Hurst. D.V. Hurst graduates in 1944, they get married. He goes on to be the president of Northwest Bible College in uh, Washington. So you see this going on there in Africa, coming here, going to Washington. Well, somebody sends her a little uh, brochure saying about the revival that's going on in the Belgian Congo. Now, she's not seen her family, she doesn't know her history, she just know that, knows that her mom died and then her adopted parents die and she's had all this stuff going on and she realizes, wait a minute, my mom and dad had something to do with this guy in the Belgian Congo. My mom and dad led that guy to the Lord, so she goes looking for her dad. Her dad has since given up on God. He sees this pain and suffering and thinks there's, there's no point to the pain and suffering. And when she comes and finds him, she says, Dad, your labor was not in vain. Hundreds of thousands of people have come to faith. Bible colleges have been started. Hospitals have been started. And all sorts of good has been done. So here's a guy wondering, where is God in the midst of all this? And his long lost daughter shows up and tells him that God had a purpose in the pain. She leads him to faith in Christ before he dies. And it's an amazing story that God was able to show somebody that the sacrifice, the suffering, and what seemed like pointless pain really had a point after all. It's an amazing story. And as we struggle, we wonder, does God have a point in our suffering? I'm telling you what, God has a plan. There's a point in it. And there's no such thing as pointless suffering for the follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe there's no such thing as pointless suffering for the follower of Jesus Christ. 
And I don't think that we always get a, a neat little answer like they were, like they were able to get that moment. But I do believe that there's no such thing as pointless pain and suffering for the follower of Jesus Christ. So as I look at this and saying, why does God allow evil? Why does he allow it to continue? Why does he allow pain and suffering? I'm starting to realize that he is good. He is good. I'm realizing that he's probably holding back a lot more than I realize. I'm realizing that no matter how much he'd stop, I, it wouldn't be enough. And if whatever's coming my way, there's no such thing as pointless pain and suffering. I've got one more thing for us here as we move on here. Um, God doesn't owe us an explanation. Realize that? God doesn't owe us an explanation. If, if we're in pain, if we're in suffering, if we don't understand, if we're like, you know, we don't understand, and he's like, you drank the poison. That's why I'm, and we don't understand. And he's going through this. He doesn't owe us an explanation. And you sit there and think, man, this is just, I want an explanation. But as we're looking at the life of Job, this is what he, what he said in Job chapter 42, verse 3. This is what Job was saying to God about an explanation. He said, you asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. Job was saying, I... I was asking for an answer. I was asking for why. I was asking for you to give me the answer. And I, I'm ignorant. I was asking about stuff that I, I don't even really have a right to ask that are too, way much, so far beyond me. I can't even ask. It doesn't even make sense. How many know that if God was to tell you why, it may not be enough? How many know that if God was to tell you why, you still might not be able to make sense of it? And imagine just if God answered you with one why question, how much it could rock your world, right? I read this in that book, If God is Good, uh, by Randy Elkhorn. Again, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to him for this series. Uh, but he gave an illustration that I have to give to you. He said, imagine a young girl gets sick on prom night. And has to miss the prom. And so her big question to ask God is, why? Why? I was looking forward to prom. Why? Why was I sick on prom night and I had to miss? And God says, okay, I'll give you the answer. Here's why. Because you were going to go to prom with a guy that I didn't want you to attach your heart to. Because he wasn't the right guy for you. But on that night, your parents were feeling so bad for you that they went out to get you ice cream and they saw a help wanted sign and then they got you a job application. You went to that job and at that job you met your best friend who's going to help you out 25 years from now when your husband's suffering from cancer. And the girl goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> job, friend, husband, cancer, why? Well, yeah, that's going on right now because your kids are away from God and I'm going to use that right now to get them back. And like, whoa, kids, away from God. Whoa, all that from prom night. Okay? I mean, you started realizing even if God was to give us the why, we're kind of like Job. I, I was talking about things I knew nothing about. I, I'm, I'm really, you know, it's too wonderful for me. Your plan is too good. It's, it, I, I can't even handle it. I was talking to a, a dad at our Savage, camp, Savage Campus, and uh, he said, my 14-year-old daughter died in a car crash. And he said, after two days of screaming out to God and saying, why, 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 which all of us would do, he said he realized at that moment 
that if God was standing right in front of him, face to face, with the pain that he was feeling, and even if God was to say, because of this, 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 and this, he said, I still didn't know if I'd accept it, if I'd understand it, if I could fathom it, if it would make sense to me. Even if he said, there's a hundred things that came from this that were good or a thousand things, I still couldn't understand it. And he said, at that moment, I had to just say, I love you, God. I love you, God, even if you don't give me an answer, even if you don't say why, even if I live my whole life wondering why, why, why. Man, that rocked me. That rocked me. And I asked him, I said, can I have permission to use that? Absolutely. And I thought, that's where we're at. God, it's too wonderful for me. And even when I ask this question, I got to know you're good. I got to know that you're stopping so much. I got to know that even if you stopped at all, I would want more to be stopped until it was perfect. And, and I can't understand your plan. Okay, so why does God allow evil, pain, and suffering? You know, a couple of quick things here. First of all, we have a free will. We have a free will. And part of having a free will is the ability to love, the ability to reject, the ability to do good, the ability to do bad. The ability, and in that, we have to accept all of this, the good, the bad, the ugly. We've got to accept all of it. And so in this free will, we have an ability to love God. And how many know that you cannot force someone to love you? Okay, so God allows us to love him and respond to his love, and God allows us to, to do this in our free will. And so some of this evil and pain and suffering, a lot of it is because we have a free will, and a lot of it is because, um, you know, we make some bad choices. Some of our pain and suffering is in our life because we make bad choices. We say, why, God, why? And I think we talked about this in week one. We talked about, you know, Lord, Why? I've only been smoking a carton a day. I mean, come on, why, why? Some of it's our choices in our free will. And some of these things happen to us. Now, sometimes the evil and the pain and the suffering is for our own good. I think I've shared that with the illustrations of, you know, he's trying to keep us alive. He's trying to keep us alive. And some of you are like, yes, I feel like God is beating me in the back seat, you know. <laughs> But he's trying to do it for our own good. And let me, let me point out a couple things about this that pain and suffering do that nothing else does. How many know that in pain and suffering, you fall to your knees like never before? How many know that in pain and suffering, you're, you're running? Like, when do kids run to mom and dad? They're out in the yard playing, right? They're out in the yard playing, and they're running around, and they're doing all their stuff. All of a sudden, when they get hurt, what do they do? Mom! Dad! right and we go running to our parents and I think sometime in this uh, we run to God and there's good in this pain and suffering we run to him and in this pain and suffering I think that God works out a godliness in us like never before in the pain and in the suffering and things that happen to us that we don't even you know, feel like we deserve, and we're like, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't, I didn't, and I'm just trying to figure out how come all these things are happening, I'm trying to measure this against God is good all the time, and, and I'm trying to figure this out, and you're going through it, and how many know you hit your knees, and you go into his presence, and you're there, and it's almost working on you like a refiner's fire, 
And in that crucible, you just have that melting away of the things that were unimportant. And all of a sudden, you're not caring about this other stuff. All you want to know is, is God. And he starts giving you a greater godly character. And that's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.7. It's talking about the trials that are coming our way. And it says, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And the Bible also says in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. There's a process going on. And in our pain, in our suffering, we become more like God. We get those things out of us that were ugly and we become more pure. And I'll tell you what, uh, there's people in our church at the Apple Valley campus that amen me sometimes. And maybe sometimes you may think like, well, I don't wonder why they're amening. And I wish you could know all their stories. I wish you could know that when I'm preaching a message like this and I hear an amen from a certain voice, I know what she's been through. I know the pain and the suffering and the fact that she has clung to God and even in the midst of chemotherapy still showed up at church, was like, I had chemo this morning and I'm at the house of God. And I'm telling you what, I've just watched this godliness come out of her and her husband and just radiate to a level where how many know you're envious of the godliness and the character and then you realize how they got there and you're kind of like, do I really want that? Do I really want to go through what they went through to get? But I want what they've got. But they didn't get it from saying, hey, praise God, we won the lottery. <laughs> Sometimes our trials and our pain and our suffering produces within us this godly character that just can't be shaken, that's so real. I think that in our suffering and our pain in this, it's for our own good because it gets us to fall out of love with this world. We're like, I love my house, I love my car, I love my stuff, I love, 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 I got a great, great, great. And we're so in love with here and all of a sudden a little pain and suffering says, I don't love this place so much. But I love the one that provided it for me. I love the one who I'm living for. It's for our own good. I think this is not a small thing, but sometimes our pain and suffering shows us that we're part of a body, that we're part of a church, that we're not in it all by ourselves. I was talking to a family this week and they said, you know, we had surgery and, you know, she went in for surgery and all of a sudden we got a call about, do you want a meal? And they said, we could stop and buy. We said, no, 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 no. And they said, the outpouring of love and our small group showed up at the hospital and did this and somebody prayed for us and did this and all this. And they were just like, wow, we're part of a body. We're part of a church. We're part of a family. We're not in this all alone. And it was their pain and suffering that revealed that to them. They say, I'm part of this. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're part of a body. How many know that our pain and suffering puts us into a new environment sometimes? You get to talk to doctors you would have never talked to. You get to talk to neighbors that you would have never talked to. You get to be part of a support group that you never would have been a part of. And all of a sudden, it allows you to have access to a different spot. And the pain and suffering that looked like really, really bad got you to a spot where you're still trying to figure out where is God and all this. But he gives you a glimpse of it and says, your pain and suffering is bringing you over here. And I needed you here. And this is how I got you there. Okay? 
Myanmar is a, is a closed country. It's the former country of Burma. Okay? You can't get in there, but when the tsunami hits, when, when tragedy hits, how many know they're like, okay, everybody help. Come on and help. And if we're ready in those moments, how many know that Christians are the ones going to bring the help? And how many know that a country that is closed all of a sudden opens to the gospel all because of a tragedy that opened the door and everybody's like, oh, that's so, so terrible. And it is. Don't ever get me wrong. That's a terrible thing that that tragedy happens. But all of a sudden in that tragedy, it's for the good. All of a sudden these people hear the gospel. And they hear what's really important in life. Man, this is a complex subject. This is a complex thing. For many, our pain and suffering gets us to turn to God. And I know some people are like, oh, great, they're back in church. Sure, they had a little tragedy. Now they're back. I never am mad when people are back because of tragedy. I'm not like, oh, great. Well, look at that. I guess we'll have to take them back. A little tragedy conversion, you know. <laughs> it's not what we think, not what we do. You're like, if you did, you'd be heartless, pastor. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But some people maybe judge others like, oh, the only reason they're here is they had a little tragedy. You know, they've been walking away from God. Sometimes our tragedy gets us to run to God, and it gets us to come to Him, and that's really what it's all about. That's really what's most important anyways. And so in that tragedy, in that crisis, we come running back to God, and C.S. Lewis talked about that, that God just whispers in our pleasure, but He shouts at us in our pain. And pain is like God's megaphone to wake up a deaf world. Yeah, complex, complex. Last thing I'd say is this, is our pain and suffering ultimately shows how good God is. You're like, how does that work? Okay, God looks really good up against a really evil world, doesn't he? Have you ever, have you ever had the per, uh, privilege of purchasing a diamond, you know? When you go in to buy a diamond, look at that. What do they put it against? They put it against a black velvet so that it just shines out. and It's really dark with the really light. And God looks really good in pain and suffering and evil. All of a sudden you realize that a God who did nothing wrong, who never sinned, paid the price for our sins. And all of a sudden that grace and that mercy starts to make us say, like, instead of saying, why God, why? Why is all this bad? Why, why, why? It almost makes us say, why, God? Why? Why all this good to people that are so bad? Why did you endure such pain and suffering? Why did you endure such pain and suffering? And the Bible says that Jesus endured that pain and suffering for the glory of God. God looked good. He brought the glory to God the Father and said, you know what? It's about you. It's about you. And this pain and suffering, I'm going to go all the way to the cross. It's for your glory. And when we suffer, when we go through pain, when we go, it, it, it just shows God as being so good. He's so good compared to this world that is so evil. I believe that in our pain and suffering, we can make God look good. How? When we still worship Him. When we still stay true. When we say like Job, I take the good, the bad, you know what? It's all about him anyways. It's not about this earth. It's not about my health. It's not about my wealth. It's not about the stuff I have. It's all about him. And if this is where I'm at, I don't care. I'm serving him. You can't take it away. And he said, you can't rock my faith because my faith has already been rocked and I've stood strong and I'm going through no matter what. And the whole world just goes, wow, in the midst of pain and suffering, 
who is God that you serve him that way? Who is God that you would say, I'm not turning away no matter what? Man. As I close, let me just say this. I believe we could sit down with Job and have a cup of coffee with him. I believe we would say, Job, is it worth it? I believe he'd say yes. Say, did you enjoy it? Not at all. But it was worth it. And I think that needs to be our perspective here and saying, God, it's worth it. No matter what we go through, God, it's worth it. And I'll stay true to you no matter what. So let me pray for you tonight. Let me pray for you. Let me pray that God will help us to make sense of pain and suffering and all the things we're going through. So God, help us to understand this. We don't understand it. It's complex. It doesn't make sense. But we want to say, God, you're good. You're good no matter what we go through. In the midst of pain and suffering, if it pulls us back to you, then praise God for it. In the midst of pain and suffering, if it makes you look good, then so be it. We're for it. In the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of what we're going through, God, we'll never doubt that you're good. We'll never doubt that you're good. And Lord, I just pray for those that are feeling like they literally are the ones in the backseat getting slapped. They are the ones that are getting pinched. They're the ones wondering why. God, if it, if it works out in your plan, could you show them why? Could you show them that there's a point to this, that there's no such thing as pointless pain and suffering? And God, even if we don't get the answer, even if we don't get the reveal, could we trust you enough to say we're going to let that one go, we're going to let the why go, and we're going to stay faithful to you, love you, make you look good, be in love with you, and realize this earth is not our home. We're just passing through. And Lord Jesus, ultimately, it's about being right with God, and that's what we want. Give us the grace, Lord Jesus. Give us the grace. Give us the grace to keep moving forward, to keep trusting and to keep loving, no matter what happens. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Can we stand up?